All right. Welcome to uh, the Duke's Corner weekly podcast. You got OT over here as well as Connor. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, so uh, thanks for listening, the ones that are listening. <laughs> um, apologize for the bit of the hiatus. However, I do want to get back to more of a structured um, uh, uh, infrastructure to the actual podcast itself. Look at essentially weekly episodes released uh, on Sunday, sort of just covering the weekly news cycle, going over some topics that are based in Canada as well as, you know, n- international market specifically going over a couple of things uh connor's great co-host over here because he does provide a great foil i do find uh <laughs> you know people don't really want to hear ot talking for too long <laughs> so so it's good to change it up uh Con, you want to give yourself a little background or yeah yeah no um met ot at university um and i guess we've just been talking about politics and economics and all that stuff since i know him um so we decided, he asked me to help him do this podcast and just kind of went from there, I guess. Yep, yep. That's, that's, that's what we do over here, man. Baby steps, baby steps. Yep. So I want to start with the most epic moment in my current young life in Canada. Raptors in 666. Oh, yep. yeah, yep. baby. There you go. So I was downtown Toronto. It was a great day. Had the win. Super <laughs> anticipation. Went went downtown. Walked down the street. Got into the whole tirade of Dundas, uh, uh, Dundas Square. It was nuts. They were literally doing monkey chains. Carrying people onto roofs and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. It was nuts. Yeah, I saw like, people on buses and like people hanging off the scaffolding after the win. And, yeah. Like, I tried. Wow. I tried to get on uh, the bus, but I realized how am I going to get down here? Was, <laughs> that was a huge problem. Like as, as, as drunk as I was, I was just really worried about getting hurt. You yeah. know, I also helped because I was wearing a suit. And I didn't want to scuff it up. You know, I'm a weird yeah. guy, man. I'm a weird guy. But uh, that's, that's the next question. What do you think? Kawhi staying around or? Yeah, I mean, um, just from like what I've heard in his interviews and him talking to reporters after the games, uh, it sounds like he was going to buy some property in Toronto anyways. Um, and this was before they won the championship. Um, it also seems like um, after coming from the Spurs, where he wasn't really recognized for his talent and his contributions to the team, it seems like he's found his place as like an MVP and like a key player on the Raptors team. And it seems like he might want to keep that familiarity and that stability and really prove that he can take the team not not to the finals not just once but twice. Yeah, and he can keep doing it and prove that he is that player. Yeah, Kawhi not right. Plus, he could bring his whole family here and they'll never pay another freaking dollar ever again. Yeah, That's honestly, nuts, yeah. man. Yeah, I'd be so upset if he goes back to California. You can go back to California if you want, but you know, no, don't, don't. You, know, <laughs> you got to deal. Just chill here. But you got a good point. I think like he's proved he's proved to himself that he can actually bring this team to the finals. A whole bunch of randoms like Freddie Van Fleet. Also, Van Fleet, what a what a showing the postseason as like a random undrafted like guy who was gonna lose time playing got mm-hmm. benched and stuff like that nuts Not, yeah. it, 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 the way he was playing was actually like that was epic man and like for like mm-hmm. a guy off the street to like literally like show up like that in the finals it was nuts I cried like, <laughs> I cried I cried man in your suit yeah. I had to get in my suit yeah, 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 yeah. So it was messed up you know, I think like um, also like special mentions to K- Kyle Lowry because mm. uh, we were just talking about this earlier, but he sh- he really showed up in the last game. Yo, that first yeah. quarter, Kyle Lowry came up. Well, he was bad, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, those threes just jacking them up, bro. He, he was, but it's because he was really pissed off in that last game. <laughs> yeah. He didn't really yeah. want anybody speaking bad on his name. Came out there with a reverence, but yeah, we got this win. It was nuts. Is the question is is this the most epic moment in Canadian history? I mean, probably not, <laughs> but, like, yeah. but like it's 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 definitely up there for Canadian sports history. I'd I, say like top two, top three. I'm gonna start a campaign. I want to rename every field that's named after Terry Fox, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Terry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but Kawhi did it for us, man. That's sorry, sorry. That's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Kawhi, not bad. Kawhi. No, no, no. Um, no, I think. It, um, just because, like, it's Canada and hockey is the national sport, I'd have to say a hockey champion, like a Stanley Cup win, would be above this. I think I didn't even know that the Stanley Cup was like going on last week. <laughs> I, I I swear to you, I didn't even under, I didn't even know. And then like the Blues one, hmm. what is that? <laughs> is that like yeah yeah, yeah, no. yeah I don't I think, know. I know yeah, but like I think like top sports history moment would have to be like another win from the Maple Leafs or like the Oilers yeah. or something like that. But Maple Leafs I mean, are trash though. Yeah. I'm sorry, they're trash. They're, they're garbage, bro. Garbage. Let's not get into that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna end in a scrap yeah. or something. All right, okay. Let's get on a more serious topic. I wanted to cover, you know, some of uh, uh, the topics coming out um, right now in terms of the individual parties talking about their 
election campaign platforms. So last week, I believe uh, the federal liberals came out um, with a bit of a tidbit in terms of what they're doing for healthcare. Uh, I believe there was uh, some some. There was also a report about uh, looking at a single payer uh, system as well too, which would be beneficial in terms of like I guess like drugs and pharma, but it was at a cost of like fifteen billion dollars. Blah 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 blah. Long story short, all like, all the all the campaigns are basically releasing their platforms, and it's my belief. It's going to have a lot of implications in things in Canada moving forward. Um, specifically, one thing I find very interesting that a lot of people in Canada aren't talking about is the stress test and what individual party is basically going to do in regards to the stress test. So when I'm when I'm talking about the stress test, I'm essentially referring to one of the parameters in terms of you being able to get a mortgage. Um, so essentially, now they've, they've put uh, additional sort of you know details for you to be able to to be able to put down a certain amount of money and be able to go through certain scenarios where um, if interest rates increase that you're able to still make payments based on your wage. Um, this is set a scenario essentially where a lot of the mortgages now have gone from um, the, the prime lenders, which in Canada is called an A lender, uh, essentially move more so now into B lending, um, which in, in the States would be considered subprime. And even worse is there's a market called alternative lending, which is sort of just like dark money. And we're seeing a lot more business essentially go into the B lending and alternative lending side of things. And the problematic thing about that is that essentially it's essentially putting a, a, a bubble that's similar to what was happening in the states during their housing crash, right? So, my question, and I and I I think a lot of people in the market are looking right now is if you see a lot of the like the parties right now talk about oh either we're going to increase the stress test um, or or you know sort of completely take it away. I think that would be hugely implicated on what's going to happen in real estate. So I I think if they start talking about increasing the stress test, which actually is very like from an economic perspective is a healthy thing to do. Um, what you're going to see happen in the housing market, I believe, is a correction. Because essentially now, if people can't get mortgages, if it's, it's, if it's already hard enough to get a lending, uh, sorry, uh, uh, mortgages from an A lender and it gets even harder from a B lender, um, you're only going to be looking at alternative lenders. And that's sort of problematic from a Canadian perspective in terms of not being able to be accountable for where the money is going to the real estate market. So I think like um, if they increase the stress test, you see a lot of houses going to the market. And essentially, we we're in a scenario right now where in Toronto and Vancouver, month over month, you're seeing 30 years uh, lows in terms of sales volume. And that's already indicative of like a sort of a bit of a correction. So a lot of people are already talking about how uh, 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 detached and semi-detached homes have already like fallen off the cliff. And I think, again, if, we, if they talk, start talking about increasing the stress test, which is something that we should be doing, that it's going to get even worse. And I think you may even get to the point where um, you see, start seeing a lot of foreign investment sort of starting to do a bit of capital flight out of the real estate market right mm. um so that, that that's my worry and i find it very interesting that um you know a lot of news isn't covering this so tomorrow jagmeet singh is actually releasing the platform for the ndp um he's going to be doing that in hamilton which is, will be interesting enough and i think that will sort of create a scenario where a lot of the other parties start talking about it too but i, I i'm just thinking if, if it's that implicated do you think they start talking about the stress test now or do you think this is something that parties sort of hold off to until they actually get like later into the fall um uh, i think that's a great question um, I'm not as familiar with kind of like market economics and housing economics as you are. Um, but just based off of like the knowledge I have of party politics, I'd say that, um, since it isn't given huge amounts of, I mean, like, I feel like housing economics is generally talked about in a very superficial way in the news. Um, and you'd have to really dig deep for some, for like an analysis like you gave, you'd have to like, you'd have to go out of your way to read financial news or yeah. business insider or something like that. So if it is talked about, I think it'd be talked about in a very shallow, superficial way, like Jagmeet Singh saying, we're going to make houses cheaper yeah, yeah right? <laughs> or like, we're going to make this cheaper. And they don't really talk about why or how they're going to do it. Um, yeah. so I think like you have a point in that it's like, it's a shame that it's not being talked about more, but I think it's not being talked about more because not many or not a lot of the voter base has the financial literacy or like the economic literacy to kind of deal with the issue in that way. Yeah. Um, so you're just going to hear people say, I want the houses to be cheaper. And yeah. like, that's probably how they're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I also wonder too, because I found like with it, it, Canada has a very interesting population dynamic and how we look at real estate because we have an older generation that literally just benefits from house prices increasing and increasing and increasing. Whereas, and you have a, like a millennial generation that essentially, you know, is in a scenario right now where they don't even think that they can be able to buy, purchase houses right now. Right. So like, I also know for a fact that like, there's a lot of, um, there's a there's a lot of tie up essentially in terms of in terms of um, real estate prices and credit. A lot of people have been using their houses like ATMs. That's something I've realized as well too. So you, uh, although like for example you have a lot of properties in in in, uh, in Toronto that are valued over a million bucks, 
it's interesting to see how many individuals have actually remortgaged their houses and really don't have that equity there. And some of them are actually underwater. So even if you sell that million dollar house, you still have like a large lead of a burden of debt. So I, I could also definitely see how like it it's weird in, in Canada. There's almost this like ignorance or bliss in terms of real estate and where where markets are going in terms of that because i i think like if we do see a correction house prices that would be dubious for the economy in general i think that would freeze credit completely because a lot of people are like huh what do you sorry what do you mean by dubious so it'd be like so like i think if you see if we see a correction in housing prices that has a huge effect in how people can borrow um, and I worry about like how that how that's going to affect the economy because I know right now specifically in Ontario a lot of things are purchased on credit, so we really need a, like a healthy credit market right now, right? And that's also why I think like another conversation that's not being had right now is interest rates and what direction they're going to be looking at uh, by the end of this year, um, because we do need interest like similar to how we need to have these stress tests I- increased, we need to have our interest rate increase as well too because we're going to lose buying power. What's the point of being able? What's the point of buying Canadian bonds if you're only making a buck seven five? or like 1.75 basis points essentially on your return, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think Canada is actually in a very, very like, like it's a, a predicament. And it's very interesting because there's a, a lot of institutional investors, not a smart money have actually been looking at a recession um, in Canada for Q3, Q4, which is going to be very like, obviously closer to Q4, which is going to be interesting because that's going to be right around the election. So I wonder what's going to happen if we're in a scenario where we're actually, you know, the recession's open, people are talking about this, the economy is trouble. I, I, I'd be interested in sort of seeing how that's going to affect, like, you know, the, the actual the individual uh, parties, how they run their campaign platforms. And honestly, I, I think this 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 uh, sort of flows into the, the, the second thing we wanted to talk about, um, which, you know, what I, I, I'll get into for a, for a second. But um, I wanted to sort of like talk about the Doug Ford cuts. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know we're on opposite ends of this. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like the ones I'm most familiar with are um, after the first year of, first year in office, which is crazy to think. He was elected a year ago. Yeah. Um, well, like, wait, it doesn't matter. Um, the Duggar hits hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're not kidding, yeah. Just look at my bank account. Yeah. <laughs> he's, um, yeah, no, um, like he's doing what you'd expect him to do. Um by cutting social services, um, reducing the role that government plays in, like, the Ontario's, the Ontarian's life, but also, like, a very cold intergovernmental approach. Like, you, uh, like the, it might be due to the opposing parties, but also, I think, just part of Doug Ford's, like, cabinet's personality, but also his personality is that he isn't looking to cooperate or go out of his way to make deals or compromise with Trudeau and the federal government. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that comes in like stark contrast to Kathleen Wynne and Doug McGinty, who definitely had like a strong role to play in intergovernmental affairs. Um, and it's funny because I read this, um, I was reading about, what was it, um, like the billion dollars in healthcare cut or public health cuts that yeah. he gave to Toronto, as well as like cutting the cap or cutting like the city council size of Toronto, yeah. which he did like soon after he was elected. Um, and then all these changes to OSAP, which saw like huge student protests and yeah. things like that. Um which none of this came as a surprise yeah, <laughs> because right? this all fits into like his ideological spectrum and like how he thinks of um, provincial affairs. But um, from my perspective, it sucks. Right? <laughs> 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 like, like I'm hurting more now than I was before. And, yeah. Like it's it's weird to see that very direct impact um, that government can have on my bank account. Oh yeah, yeah. We were just talking about that. How it's it's super fun to see like the. The, the opposite of a direct deposit coming right out of your bank account with huge block block letters NSLSC, right? Yeah, know. You know, it's the worst. But obviously, we stand on two paradigms for this. I, I, I made an analogy about this that pissed you off earlier today. Um, so I was going to say, like, I, I've been screaming like chicken a little for the last 10 years about how our economy is looking, how debt is, and how boring is really, like, you know, dubious for us, right? So I said that, you know... Getting mad at somebody right now for doing fiscal cuts, uh, essentially, is, is almost indicative to getting mad at an environmentalist for prioritizing climate change in this scenario. Because there was a lot of problems that occurred before in the history that we didn't fix. And, we didn't, and now somebody has to come. The problems have come to head and we have to deal with them, similar to the environment. And I know it's ironic because, like, I'm talking about conservatives and Doug Ford and the environment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, but you have to consider the, the economic environment is almost as important as, as the, you know, regular environment. Almost. 
almost. <laughs> well, no, but it's, but like, okay, this is what, what what I don't understand, and like, it, I I find it very interesting how angry people are getting with these cuts and how they're not. There's almost no question of like, I I don't understand how people aren't asking like, why are these cuts happening? I I feel like they're almost just like sort of like it's easy to colloquialize oh conservative, uh, right wing bad, and they're just doing cuts to social services because like they're jerks, but. Fair. Some of these, like, the, we're in five times the debt of California. Five times the debt of California. And the, the the way the way basically a government, you know, raises profits to do projects, essentially, is through bonds and debt. The problem is right now, we have way too much debt. We're running deficits. And our, our credit, our credit, rather, our debt's getting downgraded. And it's going to get a scenario where we can't really borrow money as easily, which is why we sort of need to do these cuts right now. We need to... Fix the balance sheet. And like that is a very important thing that a lot of people don't address, specifically on the on the, on the left side of the, of the political paradigm. Like I get it. You got to invest into society to sort of, you know, make it more profitable. But at the same time, where did all the investment – if we're in five times the debt of California, what, what were the liberals doing for the last 15 years? Why, why, why are we not in a scenario where – you know, we can have a, a like a, a wealthy private sector essentially take care of people. Why do you sort of need a, like a, a very large public sector to be sort of, you know, being able to sustain like the, 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 the economy, I guess. Right. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I know I, I saw the, the one thing right now that's affecting a lot of people is that there's there's like across the board, um, uh, I believe in the public sector um, in Ontario, um, hiring freezes. And they also recently implemented a one percent wage increase freeze. And I, I didn't realize the implication of that until I was talking to a friend of mine who was explaining that every six months she's in the public sector, that they get a, a, um, a raise or a wage increase as long as they're not doing anything that's bad. So it's not even performance based. As long as you didn't do anything bad, you're getting a wage increase every six months, which for me as a guy in the private sector, I find like completely ridiculous because I've had to become very, very um, efficient with my fiscal planning essentially because I know I only have X amount of resources. So I, I to some aspect, like which is ironic, I do understand like they there does need to be some fat cut like, yeah so like why aren't you mad at the ceos that run the companies that get 20 million dollar bonuses I'm, yeah i'm, I'm mad at this. <laughs> <laughs> right? like you're mad about the six percent increase like the one percent increase that your friend that works in the public sector gets every month and yeah that maybe does make a good salary right like if somebody in the public sector makes a hundred and something thousand and yeah. Um, somebody who works in the private sector isn't getting a raise and they only make 65, 70,000. Like, why shouldn't that public sector person get a raise as well? Good point. But yeah. the irony is you're pointing out the smaller wage increase in yeah. a job that doesn't have them running giant corporations and lobbying the government yeah. and doesn't have them taking advantage of tax loops. But you aren't pointing out the CEOs of the companies that take advantage of these tax loops, take money out of your salary and give it to themselves. Yes. Yes. And I hundred percent agree that that, that that does occur. And I'm not going to sit here and be a, a moral champion of the private sector. We all know that's not going to go down, but at the same time, my, my issue with Canada, and this is not even on, on a provincial level, this is more so on like a national level. I think a lot of the, I, my, a lot of the issues happen with, in terms of with us is crown corporations. Like I, 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 when I look at it in terms of like wage increases on the, on the private sector, um, we have a lot of we have a lot of corporations in Canada that are basically handled by the public sector, but could easily be privatized. And I think if they were privatized, it would create more competition and create more jobs. Um, things I look at specifically: distribution of alcohol, distribution right now of cannabis, transportation. All, all, all of these are handled by crown corporations. Um, I think if you were to go more so to a privatized model, which would basically take the the owner's responsibility away from the taxpayer and sort of create more of a competitive scenario. Um, that would be that would be good. I, like that's why I don't think that, like cuts to the public sector is, is always that bad. If we don't have like so, for example, if we don't have an LCBO, may not be that bad because it may be good to have individual uh, individual like distributors of alcohol and alcohol products. Because in my opinion, if that happens, there's more jobs rather than having the LCBO, which is extremely inefficient, extremely fat um, in terms mm-hmm. of how they uh, how they operate. You could just have individual like let's say look at craft brewery how and like, how that sector is I- increased in sort of like employing people and making money as well too i think if you if you have more of that in different sectors you may see you know more prevalence in terms of like how, how the private sector is operating however we've never had that sort of like perspective with the, with the liberal regime and i don't want to make this like a, a, a partisan like 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 argument or whatever because it, I, I think that's when everything gets like stupid right but um i i don't understand how a lot of people in ontario don't look at it from that perspective 
Like we do have like a lot of very stupid public, it, like we have a very stupid public infrastructure set up. Um, and like literally if we just looked at it like for like a couple seconds, there's a lot of efficiencies that, that can be granted. My worry right now is that we're in the middle of outrage culture. And people right now would rather just be pissed off than look at like, you know, okay, well, how's there a solution to this? Because, like, yeah, I'm, I am super pissed off that I have to pay OSAP right now as soon as school finishes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm hella pissed off, but um, I got to figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got to I gotta figure it out, you know, right? Like, like what? Why? Like, without getting into, um, I think, like, some of it has to do with... Okay, now I, th- I think the inconsistencies in what you're saying are that um, so you talk you can talk about crown corporations and how um, moving towards a more private model of crown corporations or like not having the government involvement in these corporations um, might spark competition and create more jobs because yeah. more things will pop up and more people will make jobs. Which you know what fair like sure, um, but the irony in that is, and I realize this is like I'm. Um, I realize this isn't like um, I have no empirical data to back it up. Yeah. But um, the companies that would be created in the private sector out of those may, in fact, be the ones that keep the wages down of people like you and I who work for them in the lower levels and then pay off their stakeholders and their high CEOs with the same wages that they're saving by cutting yours. Yeah. Right. So like it's I think there's one thing to say that. At some point, the bureaucracy of a government gets so big that it becomes incredibly inefficient. Um, And some of those inefficiencies could be rid by transitioning into a more private sector model, which you see things, you see that done with some Canadian crown corporations. Like, for example, um, like the Canadian Broadcasting, um, which very much is run like a private corporation, um, is funded by public money. Um, But I think what you're pointing out is the result of jobs. Um, You could have more jobs created by creating more competition between like CBC or whatever. I forget which one this crown corporation. I think it's CBC. CBC is crown. um, And other broadcasting networks. Yeah. Or you could have one that's guaranteed to be ran um, guaranteed jobs because the government is going to keep funding it. Whatever it is, right? You're not going to have the instability. You're not at risk as much of um, CEOs putting in these austerity measures that, because they don't agree with the government's policy, um, the corporation and the bureaucracy of the corporation is going to be ran in um, solidarity with the government's plan. Yeah. And I think that adds a certain amount of stability to somebody's job and things like that. I think something else you could point out is that... um, Crown corporations are very much, um, I'd say they're very much a product of Ke- product of Keynesian economics. And I realize you're not a fan of Ooh, them. Oh, I realize you're not a fan <laughs> of it. <laughs> Which, like, just like hearing from hearing you talk, I realize you're not a fan of it. Um, I am a free market advocate. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> God. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think, like, that's just, like, an ideological difference. Like, there's no way to bridge that, I don't think. Like, yeah. Like, do you put more faith in corrupt companies or corrupt governments i mean honestly i, I think also though that there there, there is a, there's a, there's a there's a, like a pessimism to the private sector and understanding these guys being evil i don't think the private sector has a problem making people wealthy you know what i mean like i i i i again i don't think they're the, it's the most moral i don't think every company in the private sector is moral at all i definitely think bottom line is the most important thing but like like I feel like it's 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 the argument that the private sector doesn't want wants to sort of take money out of your pocket or like wants to keep you down and poor doesn't make sense to me because mm-hmm. even if you look at it like uh, look, look at uh, one of the earliest like one of the earliest iterations I guess of like uh, corporations <laughs> in the private sector would have been uh, a Ford and uh, the, the actual um, so Ford and then the, the, the implementation of, of, of uh, the the production line and uh, Ford's whole um, not Doug Ford like actual like Ford like the Ford the car, yeah, motor car, yeah. Yeah, yeah his whole premise is that I need my workers to be making enough money to buy the cars themselves okay but that hasn't played out. Like we had, we had to implement a fourteen dollar minimum wage just to, so people could live off of a very basic job that they work forty hours a week. Like, but now we're getting to do, like, yeah, I know yeah, we're getting into political yeah. philosophy and all that. Yeah, shit, but like, um, like minimum wage is like 
the, the, the name minimum wage exists there for a reason. Though. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can just keep your hyper individualism. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be over here. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's Canada. Now I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I I I break off into something else now, too. Um, I, I think there's a story that we haven't really been watching a lot, and I worry about how it's going to sort of, you know, evolve and, you know, uh, what, 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 what this is really going to transform into as, as we get into the elections. Um, and I'm talking about Canada's relationship with China, or more so China's relationship with the world right now. Um, so the, the, a recent story that came out, I believe it was in January that it occurred, but I, I don't know, it's been uh, making a lot of the circles now, uh, essentially... We still do have uh, two two uh, detainees in China right now that are wrongfully imprisoned, as well as another individual who got a death sentence that was um, sort of not properly sort of you know put upon him. Um, so so there's a sort of a scenario right now where the liberals, specifically uh, Justin Trudeau, is looking to reach out to like the the Chinese uh, consulate, specifically the 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 premier of China. And uh, not only did he get ignored, they actually got fully snubbed in terms of not being able to have this conversation with with, uh, with China and Canada right now. And essentially what China is saying is that, hey, Canada, unless we can get uh, um, uh, Mei Wangzhou, I, I'm, I the told, CEO from yeah, Huawei. Yeah, yeah. she's the CFO from Huawei who's currently in an extradition process right now with the U.S. over in B.C. They be, China's basically saying, unless you can come to us with a deal about how she's coming back home, we don't even want to talk to you. And I find I I find um it's it's it, the level of weakness in, in these interactions is problematic because I I feel like this this gives like a real a good corner a real good pocket for um right wing insanity, you know what I mean I I I look at the scenario in Canada and um, Connor obviously you're you're a Chinese background <laughs> right as well too right and and I I see a scenario where during the elections we can we we can be looking at xenophobia unfortunately enough right and I I think like the liberals really need to be addressing this conversation mm-hmm. that's happening right now with China and why it is going the way it is rather than us let, let, letting us get into a scenario where you know it's it's the it's the elections our economy is in trouble right now maybe we're looking at some capital flight maybe China's bullying us a little bit because they want their CFO back and and maybe we put a scenario where you know some of these more right wing leaning guys are in like you know Jason Kenney friendly environment areas now look and start treating Chinese people in in in, in a in a different way and you actually shared a story with me today that I actually was amazed like cuz I, I you thought it was pretty normal I was amazed um cuz you're saying you're getting a lot of like racist like Chinese rhetoric from like people right now already <laughs> and like you, t- you told me a story which I like I thought was unfathomable where, of where a homeless person who decided to randomly call you a racist name out of yeah, note yeah but like that it's a crazy homeless guy you know yeah, what I mean? like, yeah. it's not like you know like he probably isn't gonna vote anyways yeah like, it's just it's just a bad experience yeah you know? like and it happens more than i'd like it to obviously yeah but like it's just like it's not um i get what you mean like it shouldn't have happened yeah obviously yeah, yeah. um and i wouldn't ever do it yeah but um I, I give him his personal context and the fact that he's probably under a lot of stress and yeah. probably <laughs> needs a reason to explain why he's homeless yeah. and things like that. And it's probably easy to point at someone that looks different than you yeah. and say, you're the reason I'm like this. Yeah. Um, so like, if he needs that, give it to him because like, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you know, like... But but I, I, I my worry is like, I, I do think it needs to be addressed right now because I see like I do see a scenario where a lot of uneducated people who are sitting on the right wing can be looking at people of Chinese origin and be sort of noticing, I have nothing, oh, everyone... Let's come over here, real estate this, real estate that. And I think if we don't have like a real addressing of the interactions happening with the Chinese state and the fact that the Chinese state is not the Chinese people, like that conversation needs to occur right now before we get into an election where people are now sitting on, you know, using populist politics to sort of, you know, trump their platform, no pun intended. Right? But I, I worry because there is a scenario where we get into where, where we look at uh, elections this fall and someone on the right wing will be sitting there and say, Hey, I can get support if I sort of put down this this uh, this racialized group of people, right? Mm. And China has China, Canada has had internment camps before. You know what I mean? I'm not saying we're going to get to that perspective, <laughs> but we do have a history of of, of the things of that nature, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I just worry about like if we don't start addressing these things right now, what is it going to evolve into? And like, hopefully, it doesn't get into anything bad when elections come around. You know, I think I think you have an interesting point, um, but I think that. That sort of prejudice could also be brought up by using the direct, more aggressive language against 
Chinese diplomats. Yeah. Like, so, like, if, uh, I think you have a point in that ignoring this issue and taking, like, a, like, a very diplomatic approach and not addressing it head-on creates a space where um, either people further to the left or further to the right, probably further to the right, just because of my own biases, but um, people further to the right could use Chinese people as a scapegoat and kind of point at them as the reason why, whatever it is, right? Yes. Use it as a platform point. Yeah. Fair enough. That's my, uh, but you could also do that. Um, you could also say that using this direct, potentially violent and aggressive language right from the get-go, and if Trudeau was to just call Chinese people bigots or like the Chinese government bigots or whatever it is, regardless of what kind of preamble he gave it, um, you're also doing the same thing. You're yeah. saying like you're putting that language out there. Yeah. And I like it's. I think I agree with the way that he's handling it. Um, because I think it is, ultimately, you should remain diplomatic and you should remain principled and you should remain um, calm for as long as possible. Yeah. And, like, it, it's... I think there's no winning here in terms of, like, the point that you brought up of, like, Chinese racism or, like, prejudices towards any minority. Yeah. Um, like, because this could easily just be... Because this could just as easily be, like, if it was Japan, it'd yeah. be Japanese people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, it's... I don't know. I'm not sure I can agree with the premise of what you're saying because I think it could also happen in other situations. And like that presence of anti-Chineseism yeah. is present regardless of how you handle the situation. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And that's why I'm like why I'm watching these these election platforms come out really quickly because it's really China's Canada's relationship with China is very interesting. Like because we're really looking to pivot to, to Asian markets to sell all of our products, specifically oil. I mean that's the whole reason why we're. TMX, that's the whole, when they say bring oil to Tidewater, they're just talking about selling to the Asian markets, right? So, like, it's it's a weird catch to scenario where, like, Canada right now doesn't really know where to stand. We're getting bullied by China. Um, we're getting bullied by the Chinese government. Let's, I, I, I want to really iterate this. Like, no, it's not China. It's the Chinese government. Um, we're getting bullied by Chinese government, and but we also need to work with them at the same time. But at the same time, our largest trade partner is currently in a large conflict with them at the same time. We're, we're collateral. So I, I don't know what direction this goes for uh, for Canada. I still do worry, though, about, like, about, about like the, the conservatives, the right wing. I don't know how this election is going to go. To be honest, I think this might be a very aggressive election, to be honest, um, in, in Canada. Just because when you, when you look at all these things in terms of, like, economy uh you know political divide rhetoric divide i i don't know how this election is going to go so that's why i want to watch this closely and keep everything sort of in line as we as we reach it and keep the information factual because that's what i worry i think this is going to be a very populist election where people just sort of harp on very large you know um macro topics don't look into the details of them right so that's actually why i even want to do this i feel like people definitely need the ability and opportunity to be able to get specific and detailed information saturated to them in an easy manner right because it's hard everyone's working right now no one's going to be able to like read news stories all the time which gets problematic when you have an election and you have like a populist leader sort of want to harp on to all all of these um you know larger topics right so I think that's going to be an interesting thing to look at right now, especially when you look at the conditions, like what's happening right now in the global economy. Like, I don't know. Um, I, I, I watch news every now and then, and I think we're going to go to war with Iran. <laughs> <laughs> just, last, last point on the China thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's... So, like, the actual, like, snubbing of Trudeau's invite uh, invitation was back in January yeah. of 2019, um, which is, like, six months ago. Yeah. Um. But I think, like, I think China's diplomatically in this current month, which is June 2019, yeah. um, is just a shit show. Like, especially, like, <laughs> yeah. like, especially with the whole Hong Kong thing. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, like, and it just came out today or yesterday that um, Hong Kong's, like, head of state or whatever it is backed out of the bill because of all the protests. Yep. So there was, like, a bill where, um, or not a bill, there was a... An agreement between China and Hong Kong and like Hong Kong kind of created a law where it would allow Chinese people to request extradition of Hong Kongese citizens to China. Um, And there was like mass protests with like hundreds of thousands of people like marching in the streets of Hong Kong because they were afraid that um, the Chinese government was going to use this extradition bill or this extradition law to persecute its political opponents. Yeah. Um, And the history between China and Hong Kong is, is not the friendliest. Up, right? yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad, right? So um, I think like you're just seeing like 
there's a whole the the projection of Chinese power globally through things like the Huawei situation, as yeah. well as like the extradition of Hong Kongese citizens to China, and also like just like the scale of the Chinese economy and like how many things do you buy that are made in China. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like they mass export products like crazy. Um, it's like you're starting to see its very real effect and it's very real um, the intimidation that it can have on other countries and like how impactful it's going to be moving forward. Yeah. And, and you're starting to see it rival with this US centric economy. Yes. And mo- all the economy moving towards India, China, yeah. Asia centered. And where, where do you think this goes? Because I remember like in school, one of the primary things we learned is that like, um, in, in political or international relations, we exist in either uh, we, we existed in a in a bipolar environment where essentially you had two large powers, superpowers who had subsidiaries underneath them who were sort of running things. So previously, before in the '90s, it was the U.S. and Russia, or the West and 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 you know the USSR, right? And that shifted more so into a unipolar scenario where the U.S. is a superpower, right? And now it seems like it's shifting again, where almost. I don't know. Like, I guess we're in a bit of a bipolar scenario again, but it's switching into unipolar. Hence, maybe these these uh, talks with China and whatever this trade talks and tariffs coming up. My my question is, what's what's the end goal here? Like, how does this how does this end? <laughs> how does, like, Damn, yo. yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think yeah, that's a great. No, I, like I think you're talking about like the core and periphery countries. And, yeah, like, like the state spoke, like the spokes state and spokes model yeah like yeah. with the bike tire and all that right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah so like i think you do like it's still true that you have like one major hegemony yeah um like the u.s being the hegemon and i think it's like undeniable that after world war ii the u.s kind of set out on a, world, a quest of world domination yeah. and like very much so achieved it to like a surprising extent yeah and like you're seeing that with their projection of power across in the middle east as well as like their projection of power in china and like um, just the amount they spend on military power, yeah. um, as well as kind of penetrating financial markets across the way in places like Latin America, um, as well as in China and Japan and things like that, and in Canada, right? Yeah. Um, so I'd say the fable of China overtaking the U.S. is exactly that a fable. It's wrong. Um, I think you see, um, I think it's reminiscent of kind of this is like a harsh comparison, but Stalin's kind of Stalinization of Russia during um, the Russian Revolution yeah. and, and like World War Two and things like that. And kind of like hard, the hard press and like the pushing the country and the populace to its limits in the effort to industrialize and grow economically, which was ultimately successful, very successful. Yeah. Uh, but now you're seeing the drawbacks and you're seeing the same thing with China. Yeah, yeah. Now you're seeing like the pollution, you're seeing the low life expectancy you're seeing the high rates of suicide you're seeing all these things that ultimately make it a a weaker stake yeah at the risk of or at the cost of growing economically to an amount that isn't even close to america's economy at any point yeah right um so ultimately, nothing's changed. <laughs> but, but but is that true? Because I I know right now I don't know China like is a because China is the fastest growing economy in the world right now right. Um. I don't know empirically, yeah. but it seems like it. Yeah, <laughs> I think the, the, the last like, metric I remember is that they still have they still have like single digit growth. The rest of the world right now is still dealing with fractions, like like in terms of GDP growth. Like I think right now the state, it's Canada, North America is happy when they see zero point six percent increases in, in, in growth in GDP, right? Where I think as China is still closer to like between four to eight percent. Wow. I do believe that they're still actually experiencing a recession right now. So like globally, things are going to be interesting to see. I think, I, I'm just I, I don't know how things go because honestly, I I don't think um I see China being very aggressive right now. I see them looking to take you know um, hold of a lot of scenarios. Um, and I I also see the West not being the most cooperative or happy with that either, right? And I, we all know specifically how crazy America can get with like <laughs> you know I mean? right. Um, and, and like my my worry is that right now. Let's be honest. We're having economic wars with China. That's what they are. Economic wars, tariffs back and forward. Sure. What's the next step past that? Well, like, I think, um, I don't know if this is going to directly answer your question, but I was watching this. Um, I'm by no means a f- fan of Ben Shapiro, but <laughs> <laughs> like, I, think it's, I don't think it's very bright. But, no, you, um, don't, you don't like alt-right adjacent? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Anyways, um I was watching an interview with Ben Shapiro and Stephen Harper. Yeah. This was after Stephen Harper left office. This is like a year ago or so. Yeah, he, um, he loves the limelight these days, eh? Oh, my God. That hair. Oh, yeah. That hair is still so... <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anyways. Um, 
Harper was talking about um, the exact thing. Like the, he was talking about the Trump's government approach to um, like the economic relationship between the U.S. and China and how um, the, at certain points you're going to have, um, if in certain trade relationships, you're going to have one country making a lot more than the other, right? So like in situations where a good trade deal is one where both countries benefit, right? Yes. In some situation, right? But there was a point where China was so underdeveloped. Yeah. And it was still in the situation, it was still in a situation, it might still be, I'm not totally sure, but it was in a situation where China was trading with the U.S. um, And yes, the U.S. was actually losing money because China was just that so far behind. And no matter what the trade deal was, with any reason, they would have made a lot of money off of them, right? Yeah. Um, And there's just situations like that where because of where China was, like, in its economic situation it's hard not to make that progress. Yeah. Like you could fucking do anything and you're going to make 8% GDP on a year or whatever. Yeah, it is, right? yeah. You know what I mean? So like, it's a matter of like keeping China within its historical and economic context and understanding where it came from after revolutions, yeah. after changing government, after all these things and realizing, um, they could have just had fucking 10 people selling things on the street and they yeah. wouldn't make progress. You know, like it's, it's not like they're both starting from the same point. So like, I think you're right in that, there's like a quote-unquote trade war or whatever it is and like you're seeing like the differences in ideology and you're seeing the differences in economic growth play out in a way that seems um like conflict yeah um but like regardless like we still trade tons with them oh enough you know it's a very it's a contentious relationship it well in in the i think i think you hit it right on the head and like the interesting part is that this has been a continuing story since the 90s when like they were first introduced to the wto because what china did and and you're right you're you're referring to the trade deficit where there's always going to be a trade deficit with, with china because we go over there to create products very very cheaply and they, they're exported back here. So obviously, China will be making a lot of money off the export of these products, right? And another thing about um, the, 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 another thing about the, Chinese, the, the Chinese government is that they're very protectionist in terms of like their, their, their market themselves. So you can't, have, you can't establish a foreign business in, in China without having 50% ownership by, with a Chinese citizen, correct? Sorry? That's, so it's, I, I believe the infrastructure set up right now that uh, foreign, a foreign company cannot go into China and establish a company without 50% of the ownership being Chinese. Sure. Yes. Sure. So, like, you, need, you literally need to have half the ownership, and then on top of that, they're very restrictive with their domestic market. So, like, for example, like I saw a meme the other day. People were laughing about, um, oh, like, uh, uh, mm-hmm. it's like China bans Google, China bans Snapchat, China bans Twitter, China bans Facebook, China bans uh, like all of these things, and it's like, oh, U.S. bans Huawei. Scrap. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But but it's it's the truth that China does operate in a very specific way, and I and if you look at the relationship that's happened with WTO and China's interaction with the West and and the G, the G six or G twenty, whatever you want to be, whichever yeah. you're really involved into, basically the, the the conversation that they have or the story that they set up is that. We weren't really sure about China about when they, when they got established because they were a communist regime. In the 90s, we were still going through this whole Cold War thing, and we weren't sure if, to, if we were going to introduce them or not. We did. They came in. They provided us goods for a long period of time. They created a strategy where they were, they were um, cutting their currency or they're cutting the value of their currency essentially to maintain a low production cost in China, which everyone is okay with because we're able to create products very cheaply. But that also allowed China to accumulate a large amount of wealth. And now I find it's funny the WTO or a lot of countries in the West are like, oh, was this a good idea? And I feel like that's like really this trade war is the the final fruition of that, of like, oh, shit, we allowed China to essentially come in here and we benefited off of sort of them, like you said, pushing their population to the limits of production, right? And now they pump out like 400 billionaire 400 new billionaires per year and i feel like the west is now like oh is this is this okay because there is a scenario now where things are shifting right and then you even look at like so and, and i think this is a hugely correlated to a lot of things that are happening internationally right now because china has a great relationship with russia and iran and i wonder if that has any implications right now how things are going because i find the more aggressive china gets the more interesting things get on a, on a geopolitical level so for example like right now i just briefly brought it up we we're randomly going to war with iran and like, I, I, like that, which is like very random. Like, um, and it's, I mean, it's not random, but I, I do think there's a correlation with, with like, on a, on a on a on a large level, the bipolar relationship between the West and the East and China's aggression and strength right now. I, I and I worry about where things are gonna go because you look at history and it starts cold wars turn into hot wars, and there are theater, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a rap lyric. <laughs> yeah. Cold I got some like bars, a, bro. <laughs> it's like a meek I got lyric. bars, yo. But, no, but it's the truth. And I think a lot of people, I feel like right now we're being very much so lulled into what's happening and we're not looking at the reality of things. Um, there's multiple theaters of, of conflict that are set up right now. There's just, they're not, they haven't happened. So South China Sea conflict. It's literally been there for years now. It's been like five, six years where you have like NATO forces and Chinese forces like miles away from each other in the, in, in the Spratly Oceans or near the Spratly Islands just waiting to, for something to pop off, okay? We have Iran. Um, that looks to be like the next hot like theater of war right now too as well. And, and but, but my, my I, but I also worry because I I feel like I feel like all these actions are happening without people really understanding or really yeah really understanding how things have changed now. If we because like I also feel like that maybe that's the reason why we're not going to get in, into like a, a hotter war because it's not the same anymore as previous before. I don't like troop battle in my opinion isn't. A thing anymore. Exactly. I mean, it, it is in, in, in like areas of the world where that's existed forever, like the Middle East specifically. But I worry now, if we do get into a hot war, what a lot of people have been looking at is missile technology has advanced a lot. You know what I mean? Like it's actually like very concerning right now. Um, there's, 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 there's players in this world right now that have nuclear arms that shouldn't have nuclear arms. Literally, Pakistan and India are on a, <laughs> on a daily basis just waiting to like nuke each other, right? Yeah. And like I, I, I know maybe it's getting hyperbolic, but I really do think this year is a very interesting time. We're looking at a lot of things specifically happening that could get like very problematic, and I, and like that's one I really watch for. Like I, I don't know. It, it really does make sense now, and I don't think it's too crazy of a statement to say that the West goes to war with China. <laughs> It's like it's 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 not a it's not a crazy statement and and it's like putting that out there <laughs> yeah putting putting it out there and you, you you look at history every time the economy goes bad the way we fix it is we go to war yeah yeah no like it, which is why we shouldn't elect people like Doug Ford it's all full circle now, yeah right? yeah full circle close it right right back yeah, and see so what like, it right I think I think you're right in pointing out that um, the possibility of nuclear war is very real yeah and like it's scary yeah like, i hope you got a big base menu because like, yeah because <laughs> like, like i'm like if it drops we're screwed right yeah but um and even if it drops like across the world in india and pakistan yeah like we're screwed anyways because yeah. like atomic winter and then we can't grow crops and we're dead right so I, like there's no winning here and, yeah like you see it reflect and like i know i'm not crazy in thinking this and you're not crazy in thinking this either because like if you follow like the doomsday clock yeah it's like two minutes to midnight, which yeah, is like yeah. as close as it's been since right? the Cold War. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so like to think that um, we're in a situation where things like, um, or sorry, th- this might be, um, this might be a cheap shot or whatever you want to call it. This might be just like a given, but like this is why um, the election of Trump and like the rhetoric that comes behind him. Yeah is so detrimental and what is so it's so it's so important that voters are responsible with their political power and like understand the implications of these things and why it's so it's, i think it's a great point that you brought up yeah and i think it's important to talk about because these are very real real things exis- these aren't existential threats these are real these are, yeah right you know yeah. So here's another question i have too do you, do you know what lagging indicator means no. so like in like in, in finance essentially it's, it's a sign to say that like okay when this comes up, it's it's a sign of something that's happened, but it's a lagging indicator, which means so something already happened. So it's almost like let's say let's say if your body is sick, like and like you, you this is a, a poor analogy. Let's say you have a spot on your skin and it happens to be cancerous. That's a lagging indicator. It means the cancer's been growing there for a while already. Now it's just for able for you to see it. My question is: Are political leaders lagging indicators of rhetoric? I.e., is it really? the fault of Trump himself or did we get in an environment where a guy like Trump can come in here and sort of take over because you look at globally right now and like this is my thing diplomacy has changed it's not it's not just Donald Trump you got a whole bunch of guys everywhere right now that are very like I'm a strong man we need strong leadership and blah 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 blah, blah. yeah 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 yeah. people love Ben people love Benjamin Netanyahu and in my opinion he's a maniac but that's a different that's a different story (laughs) but but no but it's true so I'm wondering like is it is is Trump the problem or have we entered an environment in the world right now that's like almost family guy-esque in terms of like just things are wacky like things are insanely wacky and like in, this is a scenario where political leaders like this can exist. You know, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you mean. Yeah. That's like, that's like a whole podcast. Yeah, like, right, yeah. Like, in short, like, it, like, I think you're right to point out that, like, um, or to quote one of my favorite <laughs> authors and academics, Chomsky, Noam Chomsky. Yeah. Um, you're seeing the election of Trump, like, or what he, he said, um, 
if somebody charismatic and somebody that's able to talk to crowds comes along and happens to be on the yeah. right side of the spectrum, like America's fucked. Yeah, because like that's and that's exactly what happened, right? You yeah. see a bunch of people that have been uh, forgotten about and been ostracized by these neoliberal policies that yeah. are put in by people like Clinton and Democrats and Republicans alike. Um, that totally forget about the working class and then that leads to them buying into these things of like these scapegoats and like these the persecution of racial minorities and like instead of pointing at the big business and like the corporate interests that rule their lives they point at things that are easier yeah and you it leads to polarization of politics and lack of compromise and then ultimately we all get nuped yeah yeah and that's the thing that's like and that's why i that's why this podcast exists (laughs) because honestly it sounds corny information is power it's like literally right and like that's the one thing that may save us like selection (laughs) because literally you know how many times have we been lied to about just stupid ish you know what i mean like and sold hope on a platter and i think maybe that's even the reason why like a guy like trump and like andrew Scheer can come through and i worry that like a lot of the liberals are still hanging on like the economy is the economy is fucked let's be honest like it, it, it th- things aren't looking good right now right and like we need to make very hard decisions that will not make friends that will not make a lot of like, a lot of people happy right so like I, yeah i don't i don't know it's like interesting how things are going for and that's why I, i'm focusing on this election i don't know who's gonna win man like i don't know and i because i would almost worry like i i still think andrew Shear is the best thing that's happened to the conservatives in canada because he is such a milk bag He's so like he's he he's got nothing to him, bro. Like he's 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 so unseasoned chicken. Like it's like it's like no serious because you, you don't you what you would not want to have is Doug Ford in federal leadership and and Andrew Scheer in Ontario as as a premier. And that's what I worry. We are in a scenario where like you could easily get like a really bad conservative leader right now that comes through and just sits on Jason Kenney. <laughs> This sits on some ridiculous rhetoric and has people ride on it. Because let's be honest, I bring up Jason Kenney because literally he had MPs who won that are like clan member-esque. You know what I mean? Like, like literally some ridiculous, they, they were talking about like bozo eruptions and the crazy shit that was coming out of some of the MPs' mouth. But it's a problem. It's a, it's a real problem. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. So, like, stay tuned. Follow <laughs> mm-hmm. Follow the next podcast. Going to be doing this pretty weekly. Cut this off, yeah. Cut this off before an hour. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's been a uh, been good talking, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Yeah. You have any final points? Uh, just educate yourself. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Make sure you read. Um, and yeah. All right. All right. So catch you back next week, next Sunday. Have uh, more of a format. Obviously, you know. As the infrastructure builds, things shall change. But uh, it was great talking to you, you know, uh, and we'll circle back next week. Yeah, there we go. There we go. All right, take care. Peace.